You're listening to the Fair to Midland podcast, the podcast where independent riders can talk about their work and share their inspirations. This week, we're joined by J.D. Clapp. J.D. Clapp writes in San Diego, California. His work has appeared in The Milk House, Rural Fiction Magazine, Wrong Turn Literary, Revolution John, and The Whiskey Blot, among others. He has forthcoming work in a Commonwealth journal, Fleas on the Dog, and Literally Stories. His story, One Last Drop, was a finalist in the 2023 Hemingway Shorts Literary Journal Short Story Competition. I'm excited that J.D. has chosen to join us for this episode of the Fair to Midland podcast, and I look forward to a really good conversation with a really talented writer. So without further ado, this is episode three of the Fair to Midland podcast with J.D. Clapp. All right, so I think where we left off before we cut off was just kind of you talked to me a little bit before we came on here about you were a social scientist, really, to start with, and I was in the humanities, too, uh, with a history degree. So I wasn't a born writer or anything. Right. So uh, our background kind of matches there. So if you want to kind of just enlighten everybody on how you came to writing and kind of what your background is and how you got to be where you are today. Yeah, certainly. Um, so I'm a social scientist um, by training. I have a PhD from Ohio State. Um, and then I've been a long time academic um, in, I've been in schools of public health, schools of social work, uh, schools of medicine, and I study alcohol abuse and how people drink in real time. So that that's kind of my day job or what, what I started out doing. And I wrote a lot during that you know, in that part of my career, but there are those boring science articles that are just, mm -hmm. you know, they're no fun to write and they're certainly no fun to read. Um, and so about a year or two ago, as I'm getting, I'm, I'm got about three or four more years before I retire, I've always wanted to do creative writing. So I decided I was going to start. And, um, this about a year ago, December, this December of 22 or Thanksgiving to 22, I started writing short stories. I ended up kind of having to self-teach myself. You know, I don't mm -hmm. have a, an MFA. As an undergrad, I had an English minor, but, you know, you're going back to the 80s there. I didn't, yeah, don't me remember. too, though. Yeah, me yeah. too. That may be the social scientist thing is to get a get a minor in, in English. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is. Yeah, it's helpful. And it always, it it is. always helped my writing as a scientist. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people call oh, you a good writer. Um, but it, it was, you know, totally different to, to mm -hmm. go into creative writing. So I, I did a lot of kind of, um, I wrote every day for several hours. I read every book I could get a hold of, watched master classes. And then at a certain point, I hired editors, um, development, a couple of developmental editors to work with me. And, and that really kind of helped. And, um, and then it just started taking off from there. Yeah. So are you, are you from Ohio? Are you from the Midwest? I have lived in Ohio twice. Um, mm -hmm. My wife's from there. So uh, I grew up um, in San Diego and then mm -hmm. was in Ohio for graduate school. And then I was back in Ohio as a faculty member for several years. So okay. two stints well, there and, and the rest out here. Yeah. Uh, one of my dearest uh, professors that I had in, in college uh, went to Ohio State. And, uh, you know, as far as a writer, I think she had a pretty big influence on what I do with just trying to understand place and, and rurality and some of the things that I write about. And, uh, you know, I talked to her the other day. I talked to her all the time. So there's, there's good folks at the Ohio State University there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it it was a, it was a good place to go to school. It was a good place to live, and it was nice from a writing perspective. It gave me a totally different um, experience than I got in San Diego. Mm -hmm. so kind of have two different cultures that I was able to you know live in for a while. Yeah. So being you know not a trained writer, you talked about that. So what 
what is the process that you came up with? So how do you, how do you go about crafting your stories? How do you develop your stories? And then what's your writing process look like when you sit down to, to write a story? Sure. Um, so like I said, I pretty much write every day, except maybe Sundays. Um, mm -hmm. and just kind of give it a rest. Um, but, um, usually I get an idea for a story that's, they seldom come fully baked. So, you know, I'll have an opening, a setting, a conflict, or, you know, one or two elements of it. Mm -hmm. And I'll start writing. Um, and I'll keep going as long as I feel like I have energy on that good mental energy and a flow on that. Um, and then if, if that kind of stalls, I'll set it aside and pick, start working on something else. And so sometimes I'll shift between, a. uh, a flash story and a poem or um, yeah. a flash story in a creative nonfiction or something. Uh, but I always have a few things going at once. Um, occasionally, I think, and, and this is kind of, I think the stories I like the best are the ones that for whatever reason, I just kind of wake up and I have it and it just comes, yep. you know, yeah. and fall into a rhythm and, and just go. Um, that probably happens about every fourth or fifth story the rest of the time it's, it's, you know, stops and starts and thinking about it for a while. Yeah. See, you, you mentioned that earlier, you can put them aside and you can start something. I cannot do that. So on the last, I recorded one with Justin Lee earlier that'll come out in, in February. And we were talking about this same thing. And in, during my MFA, we would have these discussions about what's your process and everything. And I've coined this term exorcism writing right? Like I, I get this story in me and if it comes out all in once, like yeah. it's probably going to be a good story. If I have to put it aside and go back to it, they tend to not come out as well as the way I want them to. Now I did have one that I just finished that probably sat on my desktop for three months. I started out with a good idea, wrote the first scene. And then after the first scene, I didn't know where I wanted to go with it. I knew how I wanted it to end. And I knew what I wanted to happen, but I couldn't get the character there. Right. So it, it sat for a good while. And I think it was a prompt. I mean, it was just a, a writing prompt for a competition that I, that I wanted to enter that drove me back to that story. And now that I've finished it, that's the only one I think I can say is that that's a good story after I did that. But I was that way with songs too. When you would write a song, if the song didn't come fully formed, I didn't ever, I didn't ever really feel like it was a, a good one. And that really kind of bore out musically. And I think it does with me for short stories too. Uh, novels, not so much, you know, I can get, get a start and stop on that. But right. again, if you sit too long, you're out of it and you've got to go read your own novel again to get back <laughs> right. to where you, where you were, which you're going to do that four or five, six, seven times anyway. So who wants to do it more than you have to? So I've got a issue with that right now. I'm on the last chapter of a, a novel and I need to, brush up on where I was at the start to really finish it off. But that's interesting. People like you that can do that. That's a, that's a talent and that, and you can move genres, right? Like you can go from poetry to creative nonfiction to fiction. So I, I had another question, but I'll jump there since we've kind of segued into that. Do you enjoy one more than the other? Um, I, I'd say, um, I, yeah, uh, fiction for sure. I think mm -hmm. is my favorite thing to write. Um, and I think it, it was, it's so different than what I've been doing for 25 years writing science uh, mm -hmm. that it's just, I'm still having a blast doing it. So it's, it, 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 as a matter of fact, I got, when I first started um, for the first several months, I'd paint myself into some corner and I would treat it like it was a research problem. And I'd be like, oh, mm -hmm. you know, what do I do to get yeah. out of it? And then I remembered it's my story. Just, change it you know it was yeah. there was no rules to keeping yeah. me there um so that took me a long time to kind of think that way so I, I really enjoy that um not surprisingly given that i probably don't enjoy uh, or enjoy the least creative nonfiction. um i just it's is it, that, that due to just burnout yeah you, know, you you read so much yeah yeah same same for me yeah. And it's hard for me to do it for some reason. I just, it, that is always a, very rarely does that come out great. A couple, I've written a couple short things that have come out fast that I'm 
I'm happy with. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's, you know, it's dragging, it drags. Poetry was a, it just kind of happened as a fluke. Um, I never thought I would be a poet or write poetry. Um, and it kind of came about when I got stuck on a flash piece or a drabble or something. And I was reading, I was like, well, this kind of re reads like a prose poem. And so I started playing around with it. And then I started realizing that was, it was a good way to kind of get ideas out or down. Mm -hmm. And I've gone both directions where I've started with what I thought was going to be a poem that blew into a story and what I thought was going to be a story that ended up as a poem. So, um, it seems to work for me and I do enjoy writing them. Uh, they usually come out in one take and a couple line edits and then it, yeah. I don't mess with it. So poetry is hard for me. Um, not because I don't enjoy it. I mean, I do enjoy reading poetry. I think it's helpful for, I think you and I were both in the same thread last night about that, you know, how to yeah. make your, how to, how to make dialogue sing. And, you know, David Joy said, read more poetry. And that was helpful because if you do that, you can kind of get that musicality of what the voice sounds like, what a cadence, how to, how to create a cadence writing. And that's helpful. Um, and I've got a cousin, you know, and he's, he's done well with it. He's, you know, he, he works at him. He works at SMU in the creative writing department there. He won the Porter prize here in Arkansas and it just comes to him easy. Yeah. You know, and you know, we had the same background growing up, you know, his grandfather, I mean, his, his dad and my grandfather are brothers and it was just, he, that more appealed to him and he got really good with, you know, that lyrical style of poetry and I gravitated more toward stories, but, uh, the things that he can do and, and, and good poets can do, it's pretty amazing the rhythm that they can create and the little nuances that they can put in a line of poetry that can pull you in. And a lot of people I think are scared of poetry. And if, if you read something that's more, you know, I don't know, in your vein of life, right? Like right. where you, where you live things. Cause I read one of yours earlier, junk fish, yeah. You know, and that, that was because fishing and hunting that appears in your work and we'll touch, we'll touch, we'll touch on that later. Sure. But that, I, I liked that poem. Like I liked reading it. I got it. I got what you were trying to say. And I think it's cause I could understand it, you know, right, like it was, right. it was poetry that I could feel and I'd experienced. And, and I think if poetry can do that, then it, it goes a long way and I'm not knocking, you know, ode to a Grecian urn or anything like right. that, but I, I don't have any kind of connection to a Grecian urn, but I do junk fish, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've caught a cart before, you know, <laughs> or another gar, you know, uh, but that, that's a true talent to switch between the three because creative nonfiction for me, I placed a piece in the Arkansas review and I don't really think I would call it creative nonfiction. It was a, it was more of an academic piece on Levon Helm and the band, uh -huh. Um, and of course he's from Arkansas and the Arkansas reviews always looking for stuff like that. And I had a right. lot of fun doing that because it kind of melded creative nonfiction with historical writing and music. And it, I thought that was a good piece, but I've been trying to write one, um, about a state championship basketball team here. Right. And it's just so much work to get everybody together, to get everybody interviewed, to keep track of all those notes and then try to transcribe that in a way that's true enough that it's still entertaining. You know, yeah. that's, that's the tricky part with creative nonfiction, I think. Yeah, for, for sure. I, I've written, um, I wrote a story. We have a, a local kind of indie paper, uh, San Diego reader. And I wrote a story for them on, um, bars that open at six in the morning yeah. And what was interesting there is we had, I had enough background in it from my academic side that I didn't have to do a ton of research, but it was really cool to, to approach it from more of a journalistic kind of approach. And uh, that, so that one was really fun. Then they asked, they came back and asked me to do another one on distilleries, which I just kind of didn't have the same passion for. And, and that was like pulling teeth. Yeah. That was brutal. So, um, I, I kind of get what you're saying. So, so PhD wise, you mentioned alcohol and you've intrigued me here. Uh, so are you an alcoholist? Is that what yeah. you, is that, yeah, is that the label? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How big's that field? Tiny. Um, yeah. 
I bet the conferences are kick ass though. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> no, no one drinks like alcohol these days. <laughs> um, yeah, you'd think they might be dry, but they're not. Um, but it, it's an it's an interesting field in that it's it's super broad. Mm-hmm. It um it 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 has you know attorneys, political scientists, sociologists, psychologists, biologists. So it's it's just all over the place. Matter of fact, a, a couple of years ago, uh, an English professor from um, USC, where I currently work, came and and was doing a historical essay on drinking and asked me, you know, for a bunch of resources. So, you know, it's, it's, I think it cuts across kind of everything. Yeah, especially in this lifestyle. I yeah, mean, I think it, it yeah. goes hand in hand with a lot of the big riders, and I think. I would say the riders that don't drink are probably in the minority because it's such a, I don't want to use the word lonely, but it's, it's solitary. Right. Right. And I think if you're not in a good mindset, you know, you could slip there pretty easy, but I mean, it it seems to be so intertwined with what we do and the people that we admire and read and, and want to emulate. So uh, when I read that on your page, I thought that's the coolest thing ever to have a PhD in alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I felt that way in grad school. Yeah. <laughs> At some point, I think we've all been there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so I get people like, "You made that up?" No, no, it's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I mean, we can talk. I mean, that's obviously influenced your work, but we can talk about influences now. Um, I could make a really bad pun about being under the influence, but I won't do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, who's who's influenced you the most or what has influenced you the most? I've got some ideas just from reading your stuff, but I'd be interested to see what you say. Sure. Um, and, and I, and I will say it's kind of shifted, right? Um, mm-hmm. cause when I came into this, I didn't know a lot of the, the indie kind of writers or that whole scene. And so getting exposed to all that is just kind of like, that's been a joy too, just to kind of dig into that. And so, but I would say um, in terms of um, people that I read, you know, since high school, uh, the, the early hunting, fishing, Hemingway stuff would be there. But the, the short stories and the early ones um, were, were kind of the original influence. Mm-hmm. When I thought originally when I got into this, I thought I'd be writing a lot of kind of hunting and fishing related things. I ended up doing that, but not exclusively. Um, from the alcohol side, I got interested in Bukowski. Um, and so, um, you know, and that's kind of where some of the maybe more gritty side of my writing came in originally. Um, and then Jim Harrison, um, the big, kind of the big three that I came in with. Um, so what were you going to guess? All three of those. Okay. (laughs) Honest to goodness. I've got it written down over here. Uh, well, <laughs> because I mean, so we're going to talk about your, your, uh, Hemingway short story here in a minute. That was the finalist in the Hemingway short story competition. Uh, one last drop, which I really like that story. Uh, it's, it, that's all through there. When I yeah. read that, that it was, I got big, big, uh, Indian camp vibes when I was reading that story. Um, and, and the fact that you you weaved in a character named Papa into the story, like it was just, I can say, okay, this guy's read Hemingway. This guy understands Hemingway. And then you've got so many that I read that are tied into, like you said, hunting and fishing. Like, so right. I read, uh, like I said, I read Junk Fish. I read Chosen Ones. Like those, there, there's hunting that runs through all those stories. And it, it comes across in a way from a guy that's done it. You know, like it doesn't feel contrived. It doesn't feel like, you know, I'm going to write a story about hunting today, but I've never been hunting. You know what I mean? So you can tell that you've read somebody that's read somebody that's hunted, right, you know, right. uh, especially with, with one last drop, which we can probably talk about. I, I mean, that is from the first sentence. I thought, okay, Hemingway's here. There's obviously a lot. Cause when we talked about, you were saying, um, you kind of self-taught yourself and you just read and read and picked up your, your influences there. How much Hemingway did you read early on to get that kind of ingrained in your style? Cause the way you write is very, the short, concise poppy sentences. 
Yeah, uh, I read quite a bit. I've probably read most most of it. And once I started writing, I went back. I read a lot of the novels, you know, through college and young mm -hmm. adulthood, and um, more of the short stories, and some in college and some in high school. And then when I started writing again, I went back um, and and reread the short stories, um, yeah. and that was that was useful. Um, the other thing that's kind of interesting is. Um, science writing has to be pretty concise and so so there mm -hmm. you're you're never very verbose in that so i was yeah. that was a style of writing that i'd kind of been doing just in a boring way um so it wasn't that hard to to emulate and, and as a matter of fact in the last year or so i've kind of made a conscious effort to to to, to learn how to write longer sentences to to give some variety in there mm. um, which kind of sounds probably silly for most people to write but you get used to kind of one style and and it, it's hard to undo it it is uh i write the same way you write it, it's when i have to be florid or have to i feel like i need to throw in something pretty for lack of a better word I'll stumble over words because I think the way that I hear people talk where I live, they don't speak that way. We don't describe things in a way that kind of leads itself to, to writing, you know, that way, the, the way people talk where I'm from are short, sharp, cranky sentences, <laughs> you know, for, for most of the time. So I'll let you, if, if, I'll let you talk about that story. Tell me kind of how you conceived it uh, about the contest and, and, and a little bit about one last drop because I, I think it's a good it's a good piece of work. Well, thank you. Um, sure. Um, so I should start by saying I actually fished at Great Slave Lake two summers ago, mm -hmm. and that's kind of the setting I use for that. Um, so um, so the, the piece about the uh, the Indian village was actually based on the Indian village there, and it was it was a flying fishing camp. So it was, you know, fairly affluent clients and you could really tell this, um, this kind of culture divide that was from one side of the bay to the other. Um, and then, uh, there was actually, uh, one guy at the camp was an old, an older guy, uh, not that I'm a spring chicken, but he was probably like 80 mm -hmm. and he seemed to be there by himself. And I just, so it, I just kind of at the time intrigued me and I I've been keeping hunting and fishing journals for 30 years. So I've got, you know, volumes of them. And I just went back and read kind of in that. And I noted that guy. Um, and there was an indigenous guy, a couple indigenous guides who lived in the village. And so I had some things to draw on some real mm -hmm. experiences. And then it was just kind of crafting a story around, uh, around that. Yeah. I, it, I read it in, you know, really quick. And then I read it again and I thought, I, I don't read a lot of stories two or three times, but I knew preparing for this, I thought this is a really great piece of work about somebody that understands what they're doing. And like I said, you could tell, I see why the Hemingway people chose it to be a finalist because it, it's all there and you did a really great job with that. So kudos on that one. That's a wonderful story. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, um, chosen ones. Uh, I, that one appealed to me too, uh, because I think it touches on a lot of stuff that, that I write about. Um, and I could relate to the characters in that story. Um, and some of the things that you write about there are really relevant to, to where I'm from and kind of the things that we deal with here. Do you see a lot of the issues that you wrote about in that story in California? Or are you drawing on Ohio there? Or where did the influence for that story come from? So that's a little bit of, both. Um, that was actually a creative nonfiction story. Um, the, it was my nephew uh, was the kind of the younger person uh, in the story. And, um, you know, it was one of those deals. He moved all over the countries. His dad was in the Navy and it, there was a lot of kind of turmoil and dad was absent a lot. So I kind of became the pseudo adult for him, you know, parental older brother slash father figure um and then the, the hunting influences um i've hunted i hunted a lot in ohio and then i hunted i've hunted all over the west and you know there's there's different traditions but mm -hmm. the issues and the cultures around hunting and fishing aren't all that different um 
And so I think there's a universal there that, that yeah. I was trying to tap into. Well, an- another one that, and like I said, I read four or five years. I've just got, we could talk about all of them, but I've got the three um, that I thought we could, you know, kind of expound on the most here. The other one was roadkill. Um, and, you know, I mean, the, the scourge of, of meth and, and is, is that an issue there? Is that, I mean, yeah. So that, that, that's an issue, an issue in both places. Yeah. Um, so, um, when I was in college out here, uh, undergrad, uh, meth really started about 50 miles from my house. Okay. Um, and, and it, before it moved across the country, this was kind of the meth capital and then I live on the border, which adds another dynamic. Yeah. We've got it coming in both directions. And it's still still an issue here. Um, I have relatives who are addicted to meth. Um, have them to my house. And it's, you know, they've been struggling with it for years. So yeah. um, in Ohio, it was interesting. I, the, the first time I was there, meth was an issue. The second time I was there was, in the, was during the... Um, the oxy epidemic, the kind yeah. of at the height of it. And um, I hunted a lot in Southeast Ohio and kind of befriended several families down there over the, the years I was there. And, you know, I knew a guy that I hunted with who two of his kids died in the years I knew him, you know, it, it just, so it, meth started coming in there a little bit after but mostly it's now it's heroin in that at least yeah. in that part of the state so it, it's i think i think oxy laid the table for a lot of that right um because you're always chasing you know you're never going to catch up right you know and that's right. the sad thing about it uh all of that said, all of those stories, and I don't like to label people. I don't like to put labels on people's writing, but there's a gritty side to what you do. All of your influences had kind of a, a gritty side to them. Uh, so I want to talk about, you even mentioned Bukowski, if, if we want to bring poetry into this, because the epigram to my novel is a Bukowski quote. You know, I just think he, he lends himself to yeah. so much of that style of writing. Um, he, uh, you actually wrote a piece on that where you went to the bars, you know, and traveled yeah, around and yeah. kind of chased him around town, which I thought was a really cool piece too. Yeah. Uh, so dirty realism or grit lit, whatever, whatever you want to call that. Is there something there that pulls you there? Is it what you do naturally or how did you wind up with the rest of us misfits <laughs> in this, in this world? Yeah. You know, it's, that's a great question. Cause I think when I came into this, I thought I'd write more, kind of literary mm-hmm. style hunting and fishing pieces and then um maybe some satire um and i sucked at satire i figured that out really quick um and then the um is thing is i got into some of the stories that i i've kind of had some background in either through my work or people that i associate with over the years or things that I've personally been involved in, whatever, there was a gritty side to it that just kind of was just under the surface. And uh, I found it easier to write, write about it. And it felt more natural to write about it. And I think a lot of these, and I think you you mentioned this in the other, in your first episode, but a lot of those stories don't get told in a honest way. People Mm -hmm. get kind of pigeonholed. And yeah. so when I, when I write these things, I'm trying to to make sure it's not a caricature or it's it's moralistic, but it's it's actually just reflects the the complexity and the truth of the situation. Yeah, hundred percent. And then the, here's the other thing you run into too, which I ran into this. I got a rejection yesterday on a story that I was really really proud of, and I think the story does what I want it to do. Um, but what we run into is that there aren't enough places to place that kind of work. Um, there, there are a couple. Um, but if you try to place it outside of that, you have a hard time with it because of the violence, because of the drugs, because of the sex, because of, you know, just the, you know, suicide, whatever you want to put in there. And this story unfortunately had all those things. Right. Um, and, you know, you get it back, you know, this is a well-written piece. We, we like this piece, but we're afraid it's too violent for what we do, you know? Right. And, 
you kind of want to say, I mean, you, it doesn't upset me. Like that doesn't upset me because I understand. But again, the thing that we just talked about is that's reality. You know, right. like that is like, I know those people, you know, those people, right. and you've seen these things, you've seen these things happen. And that makes it, that makes it tough because on one hand, you love the people that take your work, right. but you don't want to flood them either. Right. You know, so, um, I kind of file them away. You know, if I feel it's a good piece, I'll stick it in a file under finished short stories. And, you know, if you ever want to collect them one day and put them out, at least they're there. Right. But right. I, I can't just send everything to the same publisher over and over. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I get it. it. It's, you know, I was not knowing kind of the lay of the land. I'd ask other writers who wrote similar things and, you know, they'd go, Oh, you, you're getting the same thing. There's really not a lot of places to go or try this one and try that one. Um, it's interesting. And I'd be interested in, in your take, but, um, like I've met some of the the kind of people that are labeled as crime writers out here, mm -hmm. but it's it's really kind of the same thing. They're just you know there's it's kind of this grit crime whatever. It's not like the the old school detective um, right kind of thing. So I think it's having a moment. Yeah, uh, it really is. Uh, there's a guy here in Arkansas, Eli Craner, who wrote "Don't Know Tough," which won the Edgar Award. Um, I've talked to him on multiple occasions. He's a good dude. He's been real helpful to me, but it's the same story. He's, he sent that book out. I think he said 200 times, 200 rejections. Um, and then it wins an Edgar award, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, there are, I don't want to say people are gatekeeping you out if, if they perceive you to be a certain way or you only write a certain thing, but I think there's not the open mindedness to it and maybe right. with all this work coming out with S.A. Cosby and Eli and some of the stuff Ace Atkins does and it, uh, Tom Franklin and Michael Ferris Smith those guys I mean that's gritty writing and it, it's it, it's not really regional they're writing about places just not in the south there's gritty stuff that happens in California there's gritty sure. stuff that happens in Australia there's gritty stuff happening everywhere and I think if there was a um I think dirty realism is a good name for it. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, that term that was coined, you know, I think 83 or so, but it needs more outlets really does good quality outlets more than the couple that we have right now. And maybe an award or two, you know, the right. mystery writers have their award, you know, the crime writers have their awards. I think it, I think Pithead Chapel does uh, a Larry Brown award every year, but you know, he's kind of the patron saying of what we do, but right. it would be cool if there were more, you know, more recognition for the people that really did this well and are doing it well now. Yeah. 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 It, uh, it, it's kind of amazing too. If you think of the, the sheer number of journals out there that there's really mm -hmm. just this kind of handful that, um, that focus on that. Um, there, there's a journal for everything. <laughs> Except for, you know, like the ones we want more of, <laughs> you know, that's a terrible yeah. thing to say. I don't, I don't mean to, to any disrespect to anybody that writes anything else, because that is, that's your passion. You go for it. But I mean, a lot of, a lot of genres have a lot more outlets, Yeah, you know, cause we're not, like you said, we're not really writing crime and we're right. not really writing mystery or a thriller, but it's all yeah. three of those things wrapped up in one. Right. Uh, so you kind of, you kind of get, I identify like you a little more with the crime guys. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think those stories tell kind of the same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Matt Phillips out here is local in San Diego and he's, I think he's got five or six books, but when you read his stuff, it's, it, it's just kind of grit lit, but it's set in the desert, you know, the Southern mm -hmm. California mm -hmm. desert. And it's just so <laughs> you can see it, but he's kind of been, you know, it's got the, the crime writer moniker stuck to him. So yeah, just an interesting thing. Yeah. And that's, that's why I said earlier, I don't really like to label people because yeah. you don't ever want to pigeonhole anybody. Right. Oh, well, that's what he does. Cause like you, when I started, I read so much Vonnegut, like I could almost like just quote it. Right. Um, and I wanted to do the whole, you know, intelligent satire thing and still be funny. Um, and 
wrote a couple, but I wouldn't yeah. say they were great. And then just one day something happens and we've, we've talked about this before on here, that write what you know thing. That's true to a point. You can write what you know, but you can also draw on the people around you and it still be true. Um, so, I mean, that's helpful. You, you touched on something earlier though, that I want to kind of circle back to about academic writing. Did you find, cause I did, did you find that you missed writing about people? Or yeah. The people, the um, people were the main driver of the story. Cause I did ag history. So it was all like about rice and irrigation and, right. and I just missed people. I yeah. missed relationships and stories. Yeah. And it was even, I think for what I was doing where I, I was using statistics to kind of tell the aggregate story of all the suffering, it, you know, it, it kind of, it started to drive me crazy after a while. It was just like, you know, people would look at it and it, when it's a number or a graph or a chart or an equation, it's easy to kind of look at it objectively and say, well, that's interesting. Or, you know, it becomes a, abstract and you lose that no these are real people with that are experiencing these problems um and then the stories are not they're not something that you can you know throw into a bucket and say they're all you know this homogenous thing but there's variation in those stories and you miss all that um mm -hmm. in science I mean, people try to get at it through qualitative research and i've done some of that that was closer to to this type of writing, but still, you're you're limited by methodological concerns and and that sort of thing. So, I did miss it. Yeah, I'm ag academics right now in in the academy. Is there still are we still dealing with because creative writing's a, a humanity too? Let's just lump it all into the humanities. There is there still are we still going through the death of the humanities? Has that kind of saw at not not solved itself but has it kind of leveled off or are we still on a downward trend yeah i think it's gonna it, it largely depends on what type of school um i think we're always going to have small liberal arts schools where the humanities and the, the arts will be alive and there'll be a much better balance between science and stem things and in in everything else um i think in the the large research institutes um or institutions you, we're we're getting to a place where you know it's going to be mostly stem it's going to be you know ai stuff big data i mean it just seems mm -hmm. like it's going if there's not a market for the students they're going to be reluctant to offer it um, yeah so it's it's unfortunate um I don't think it'll be super quick. You're, I think you'll see that the worst of it will be in public schools, public universities. Mm -hmm. um, I think the big privates have deep enough pockets to kind of like at USCA, they'll never get rid of the humanities. But um, there's already great disparities between the humanities in terms of, you know, everything from salaries to perks to course, you know. Right. Um, and so you can see what they what they what they invest in. Um, is not that. Mm. See, I was non-traditional. First time I went to college, I flamed out <laughs> like a nickel bottle rocket. I mean, <laughs> I was in and out, man. I majored in McDonald's really the first semester. And um, it, it, I was had seven years in the wilderness, you know, and then went back and had decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I want to be a history teacher, right? I want to major in English. I want to be a history professor. And did well in school second time around i was on probation for two semesters trying to get all those f's back up to sure, sure. you know to a levels and was proud that i did that and then at the end i knew okay this is the path i want to follow so i applied for uh, mississippi state had a uh, master's two phd right you could do it all right. in one one track and they just accepted you straight into the phd program and i was lucky enough to to get in there and I got a couple of fellowships and I was like over the moon and like, you're moving down there. You're so excited. And you're like, all right, I'm living the dream. You're going to be a TA and, and, uh, feel like you're working. And we had a meeting the first day and I won't throw this professor under the bus cause I love him. But, uh, we, we went over and we met him and he set us down on a couch and he's like, all right guys. He said, well, 
I'm going to give you my three word speech that I give every grad school, grad student that comes in here. And he said, uh, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) He said, the jobs aren't there. The money's not there. He said, you can probably make more money teaching high school. He said, if you, if you love it and you've got a passion for research, then this is definitely for you. But he said, I can't promise you you're going to get a job. Yeah. You know, and you don't talk about like rip your guts out, you know? And I think from that moment was when I started talking, what can I do with this minor? (laughs) You know, what can I, what can I do there? And yeah. Um, that's not why I left. I I would have stuck it out. We had some family medical stuff that had to be dealt with, but, um, it's that all things happen for a reason thing, I think. Yeah. You know, because that forced me to focus on the writing side of things. And even that didn't come easy. Right. But, um, all of it, all that said, I think that background with writing and that background with research and that background with understanding cause and effect and place and, and voice and heritage and all those things really plays into your writing and helps you make what you do good, right? Quote unquote, good work. So, I mean, have you found that? Like, I think you've probably had way more experience there than I have. You'd be exposed to, especially with what you focus on, you'd be exposed to all level of humanity there and you'd be, your, your well is probably pretty deep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is. And it's the last, um, the last several years I've, kind of focused on drinking events or so how people drink in real time in mm-hmm. my research. And if you think about that, it it's very, um, it's, it's really about the interaction p- between people and the place they're in. Um, and so I've kind of came into to this with that framework. And that's kind of the way I just think about the world that, um, you know, when things happen, um, there's usually a bunch of factors like right under the surface or right around somebody that makes that happen. And it, so it doesn't makes it a little bit easier when I'm writing to, to, to put someone in a situation where I, okay, this would be the trigger of that. Um, and it's just because I literally spent years trying to figure that out for drinking. Um, so, and then to your point on academia, I, I do, I tell my students basically this, I was probably the last generation. I got my PhD in 1995. I'm probably the last generation of true tenured professors that had a decent career with mm-hmm. adequate support, salaries, teaching loads, all those things. Now it's, it's, I tell myself, I don't, I even stopped taking students a few years ago because I just didn't ethically think it made any sense mm-hmm. they're going there's not there's not going to be jobs for for mo- and that this that's across academia um, yeah i had a i've got an interesting alcohol story i'll let you psychoanalyze here so <laughs> when i started doing this i mean this story like really like kind of kicked me in the guts but it was a learning experience i'd got i hit a vein of form a couple years ago where like I published like five or six things, just boom, placed them. Boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom. And was feeling good about it. And all that happened in the space of a year. So for writers, that's, that's a pretty good year. You know, right. if you're, if you're doing something every other month with the amount of rejections we all get, yeah. you know, you can feel good about that. And I was, I was feeling pretty top shelf and we went to uh, Oxford, Mississippi and uh, I went in square books. And I bought a signed first edition, Larry Brown, dirty work, got a, on fire and uh, we went across the street and we ate at a place called beret and it had about it had a veranda outside we were sitting on that and you know as luck would have it there was a fire alarm across the street right so here comes the oxford fire department pulling up with this oxford fire truck and here i've bought on fire by larry brown you know his (laughs) memoir and i'm thinking fuck me the world's pretty good right now so i took a picture my wife held it up we took a picture of it and I thought, well, what a, what a red letter day. So we decided we would walk across the street and go to city grocery where Larry drank. And, uh, which was a big thing. That's like going to Graceland for Elvis, right. you know? Yeah. So I'm up there and then I got wide eyed. Right. So I go in there and I'm like, I wonder where Larry sat. 
Like, I wonder where his spot was, you know? So we sat in there and we just chilled out for a long time. But as the night went, uh, so did the Manhattans. Yeah. <laughs> and they will sneak up on you. Yeah. And cause they're not, they don't taste like alcohol for one right. thing. And they're a little smoother than a old fashioned. And I was just enjoying the hell out of them. And I was sitting at the end of the bar and the bartender was a hell of a guy. He was taking care of us. And, um, I, at some point I reached a point to where the world disappeared and knocked a drink over. And it was almost like this, this part of me was like, you're not ready. You know, like here you are, you're sitting in, in your hero's place and you think you've done all this good stuff. And then you're spilling drinks, you know, like that was, that was kind of an eye opener. And I think that grounded me a little bit kind of got yeah. me back to you know this isn't easy like you had a lucky streak and uh you know later on that night i went and like talked to faulkner at his grave for a while <laughs> so, <laughs> <it> was, <laughs> as far as alcohol and riding there you go there you uh, <laughs> but that was a surreal surreal experience but yeah that I've, I've always whenever i feel like okay things are going great i always think back to that moment and i don't know if that was larry from the great beyond saying <laughs> Hey bud, you know, yeah, don't, don't, cause it is hard. And you know, I mean, and I do too, until I got in an MFA, I was teaching myself too. Yeah. And it is amazing that he did what he did just by reading and just hammering a typewriter. Yeah. Like, yeah. Have you ever seen that documentary, uh, the rough South of Larry Brown? No, I haven't. It's really worth your time. Okay. Uh, it, the amount of rejections, that he got and just the way it just kicked him in the stomach every time, but it just made him harder. It made him go out there and pound the pound, the typewriter more like I, that was, that was almost like superhero stuff to me, you yeah. know, just because my dad was a firefighter. Larry was a firefighter. And I just sat there and thought to myself, I can't see my dad doing this, yeah. you know? So I, I got a lot of respect for that. That that's a, that's a heck of a talent to have to not know that you had until you were golly. I think he was 30 ish, almost 30. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Now I feel like I'm getting a late start. I mean, I'm 44 and yeah. probably, you know, I didn't write anything that I thought was good until I was 41, you know? Yeah. Well, I can relate. I mean, I don't think I really creative writing wise. I didn't start till I was 58. So mm. it's, it's, you know, but like I said, I think not having at least a career where you had to write all the time, yeah. even if it wasn't that helped. Um, was there somebody or a moment where you thought, yep, I'm going to do that now? Yeah, I think it started with COVID a little bit. Um, ironically, I didn't do it then. Um, but this is, I mean, I got to a point in my academic career that I read so much and wrote so much grants and journal articles for science, you know, scientific papers. And I'd come home at night and I'd read nonfiction that was somehow related to my work that uh, I'd completely lost the joy of reading even. Yeah. So during COVID, I started getting back to like, I'm going to go back and start reading fiction again. And then I kind of rediscovered that. And then I was like, ah, now I'm I'm getting to the point, like I'm fed up with my career Uh, without going into a bunch of long stories you know usc university of southern california not south carolina has had a ton <laughs> it's of the scandals. only one let's be honest that's the only <laughs> one they can i don't know what they're doing over there <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but uh, they've had all these scandals and i ended up being a whistleblower i was i was a the vice dean in, in, in a school and i ended up being a whistleblower on a federal case and it just kind of i just i got to the point like that part of my life is going out. I'm still want to do something. I've always wanted to do something creative. I've always wanted to write. Um, so now's the time to try it. And yeah. so that's kind of just what happened. And then I, then I just threw myself into it. So yeah. do you, in your profile picture on your Twitter, are you wearing a Lucero shirt? Yeah. They're my favorite band, man. It's unbelievable how many dudes are into Lucero that do this kind of writing. <laughs> 
yeah. <laughs> uh, Justin Lee told me that on the on what's going to be an episode two. We talked about Lucero, and God, man, I remember. I remember the attic tapes, like when that oh, thing yeah. was getting yeah. bootlegged around. Cause I mean, Memphis is just 40 minutes from my front door. Yeah. You know, yeah. of course Ben's from Arkansas. So, I mean that God, I've known Lucero since they kind of came on the scene. So that's, how did you find them? Well, they tour, um, relentlessly. <laughs> and, and so they come through San Diego all the, every year, sometimes twice. Mm-hmm. And, just a friend of mine years ago was like, Hey, you'd like this band. Um, you know, I, I like drive by trekkers and other kind of yeah. you know, similar bands. And, um, so we went to see them at a tiny little club and, um, I loved it. It was a great, it was just so much fun, great show. And so I've probably seen them 30 times over the years. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think and the smaller, would, the smaller the venue, the better. Oh yeah, for sure. Them. Yeah. 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 Um, here it's almost too big. Now they're playing in a place that's about 500 people in LA. It was terrible. They played in a place with like 2000 people and it was just, yeah, it was just not even a good show. Um, but, um, uh, but I think Ben Nichols moved to Ohio now and he lives pretty close to where I like 40 minutes from where I lived when I was in Ohio, which is interesting. He did a thing it would have been around 2011, 2012, maybe. No, it was earlier than that. It would have been six or seven where he'd read blood Meridian yeah, and yeah. did that. Uh, I don't want to call it a tribute album, but it was kind of a, a concept. Yeah. It was a thing e- that he did. E- yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he's a fascinating dude. <laughs> yeah. You know, his brother's the, Jeff Nichols, the film director. So yeah. they're yeah. Uh, ta- talk about a talented family, but yeah. somewhere on YouTube, there's a, um, there's a Ben Nichols at some book reading that's in a brewery where he's reading blood Meridian and then performing the songs. Oh yeah. It's really cool. If you can find it. Um, Does he yeah. read it in the Ben Nichols voice? Yeah. <laughs> yeah <pretty laughs> see, see, see the child. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. A lot of whiskey and a lot of cigarettes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We, there was always a joke. Somebody would always, uh, we're talking about, you listen to Lucy Earl. Yeah, man, I listen to Ben Nichols. But, uh, every time we see them, I always ask my wife, I'm like, is he still going to have a voice? Yeah. Because that's that's got to be so hard to sing the way that he sings. But he doesn't talk much different than the way yeah. that he sings either. Yeah. Um, but they're probably the most down-to-earth band I think yeah, I've ever sure. ran into. Like, you can just go, I don't know what your experience has been, but you just walk up, talk to them. Oh, know? yeah. And yeah. Uh, you'll see them out at, especially if you see them in Memphis, we've gone out to eat before shows, and they've been there eating before they ever played the show. So you feel yeah. like you've seen them before you've seen them. Yeah, but I, I found that so intriguing that like so many of us are into the the same music. And what's funny about that music is it's about the same stuff we're riding about, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah I totally. think all that feeds into feeds into the funnel because I don't know if you do it. I don't because I had to have total silence to write. But some people will listen to music or they'll create a Spotify playlist or something that they've got going in the background and. I think drive-by truckers, Jason Isbell, Lucero, you know, Tyler Childers, uh, that, that kind of music, um, even trampled by turtles a little bit, they they all creep kind of into my sphere. I'm it. I mean, and nickel Creek, like I listen to all kinds of like bluegrassy Americana stuff, you know, um, I'll give you one. I don't know if you'll be into it or not, but I stumbled across, um, Waxahachie. I don't think so. Yeah, not bad. Um, they're not bad. I can't remember the name of the song that's out right now, but I can't get it out of my head. Isn't that funny how you can remember the lyrics, but you can't remember the name of a song? Yeah, uh, totally. Uh, right back to it. That's okay. the name of the song. Um, and it is very the the video is very Southern Gothic. They're on a they're on a flat bottom pontoon boat just her and a guy playing a guitar and she's got her back to the direction of travel and it's kind of shot that way 
it's really kind of a haunting video. It's a really good song. Um, but yeah, that they're they're probably top of my list right now as to what I'm into. But it's it's all that same thing. Like they're all singing about what we're writing about. Yeah, I think that's super yeah. cool. Uh, with let's kind of get off a song and go back to poetry for a minute because I find that like really really intriguing. Like I said, my I think my cousin's a superhero as far as that goes. What for people that aren't into poetry? What does JD Clapp think makes good poetry? Um, that's a that's a good question because and I'll preface this by saying I academically I almost know nothing about poetry. <laughs> so uh, for me, I can't even speak the language. It's a completely different language than what I speak with meter and rhyme and scansion and all of that. Yeah, yeah, and that's it's it's intimidating that's why i was like i'm never going to be a poet you know i'm never going to mess around with that but um I, I i think um at least the ones that i like to read um and write um are ring true so and they're usually not about me um so they're it's kind of same such something I've observed in the world. Like I, I did one about a, a guy that collects cans that I put up on Poverty House last week. Um, to me, and the the bape, those harbor ones you were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, those are about kind of things I've observed in San Diego around me that struck a nerve. Um, yeah, either as an injustice or an irony between, you know, you've got this million dollar yacht and some guy on a sailboat that's decrepit and he's pissing over the side while they're, you know, yeah. million dollar boats going by. Um, so that, so, so that it has to have some real realism in it, uh, for me to, to enjoy it. Yeah. I, you know, Greg's last book was, uh, it's called a horse with holes in it. And a lot of it was about our family. And I think that's probably my favorite book because I can connect to it because that is real to yeah. me. You know, um, the poets that I read do tend to write more about the area I'm from, the things that I understand. Um, and that's, I love Dylan Thomas. Like, I mean, yeah. we can go that way too, but sure. it's, I think it just has to ring true to you, whatever that is, whatever poet that you, John Berryman, I love John Berryman too. Right. Uh, but that's the style of poetry. It's even that is kind of raw and emotional style right. of poetry too. And I, I think, I just think you're, like you say, if, if it's real, people will read it, Yeah, you know, and I think they'll come closer to connecting to it. And the way we were talking earlier about craft, I, the human imagination these days is not really, and the attention span is not really geared toward long descriptive writing. And I think if you're going to hold an audience short, sharp to the point it is the way to go right now. And if we can get other people to believe that, I think it'll be a happier world for us as writers, but I think we get more people reading. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the statistics are just scary when you look at them. So. Yeah. Frightening, man. I mean, uh, I work in the public school system. It's terrifying every day. You know? Oh yeah. I can I mean, imagine. Yeah. Yeah just getting them excited about a book because when you do, then you've got unicorns, right? Yeah. You're like, Oh, that kid, I'm watching that kid, you know, yeah, cause that yeah. kid's going to do something. Um, because it's so rare now to get a kid that carries a book around, you yeah. know, and yeah, you know, I'm probably on a college campus too. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's got their head buried in a phone. Um, or that even can write longhand anymore. I mean, it's, you know, it's hell, write an email. I know. I, I know. mean, <laughs> <laughs> how many emails do you get that start with hey yeah, yeah. All, all of, all <laughs> no, no doctor so and so no professor so and so yeah. hey i had a girl email me as a ta uh, funny i'll tell you two funny things same girl um first one started uh what's up dan okay that was the that was the first one and then she turned in a term paper about chester a arthur and she called him Chet throughout the whole paper. <laughs> and I was like, we usually refer to presidents by their Christian name or their surname. We don't really roll with nicknames. <laughs> I said, unless you're on a first name basis with quote unquote Chet, I wouldn't, I wouldn't roll with Chet Arthur. Uh, but uh, that cracked me up. 
Um, <laughs> I've told that story a hundred times. Um, she'll never listen to this and I didn't name her. So, but still that's one to be proud of. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we'll do, we'll do the last two. Cause I've almost kept you an hour. We'll do the obligatory, uh, who are you inviting for dinner and what are you going to serve? If you invite okay. three, three riders to dinner. Okay. I mean, you um, got to invite Jim, don't you? Because he is like the culinary monster. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would, uh, and I'll, I'll go, even though I'm from Ohio, I'll go with the Michigan theme here. So I, I, I'd say, uh, Jim Harrison, um, Hemingway wasn't from Michigan, but spent a lot of time there Yeah, near and enough. Bonnie Joe Campbell. Okay. Not familiar with Bonnie Joe Campbell. Yeah. So you should, it's, you, you read, um, I can, I'll send you some stuff, but it's, yeah, okay. it's very, um, it's rural, it's gritty, tends to be very strong female characters. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you'd like it. Uh, and, Guaranteed. Uh, Michigan based. We go and there. Uh, eat, uh, some sort of, I used to have kill it and grill it parties where mm-hmm. I serve stuff that I hunted, fished and grew in the garden and one meal. So I do something like that. Oh, that'd be cool. Kind of farm to table thing, but woods yeah. to table. We've been going to Michigan on summer vacation for about six, seven years now to Holland. And uh, we'll go to the state park. Because the beach up there is not, you know, swamp ass hot like it is down here. Right. Right. Uh, we'll go up there and we do this very southern thing when we get there. Because um, everybody will be going on, oh, it's hot. It's hot up here. And you're just sitting there. Isn't that precious? you know because <laughs> it's like 110 degrees and humid down here but golly when you get up there and you got those long nights and it's yeah. just it's beautiful and the the grass is so just i don't know I, I like everything about michigan ohio too my wife loves ohio we drove through we were going to boston for our honeymoon and we drove through pretty much all of ohio we stayed in cincinnati which was kind of halfway right and we we went on up and uh some of the nicest people I ever met were in Ohio. Just really, really cool state. So it's a shame they hate each other because I like both places. Yeah. <laughs> all about football. So. That's going to be worse next year now. Oh, yeah. My goodness. Yeah. So all right, so what have you got going right now? What are you working on? Um, right now, I well, I um, I did a, um, a novella in Flash um, mm-hmm. that was it, the kind of – Main story uh, was the the story I just had in the um, the Cowboy Jamboree's last issue, and mm-hmm. then uh, but it split it up. Um, so it's a, it's it's about Southern Ohio and and kind of the folks I met down there um, that I talked about earlier in the um, the thing. And then I'm trying to get enough other stories for a collection. And then I think sometime this year I'll probably try to tackle a novel. Um, yeah. So, um, that's, that's kind of what I'm doing now. I'm in that weird in between phase where I'm going to finish a novel in the next week. And that seems to be when I want to write short stories. Cause like I said earlier, I can't do the two at the same time. Right. Right. So I've got like three or four ideas. I'll probably kick around, but I'm in between at the moment. Yeah. But, well, you got any idea of what the novel's going to be or um, any inside baseball for us? <laughs> I have a couple competing ideas and they're, yeah. they're, they're pretty different. Um, one, uh, one deals with a, um, a criminal taxidermist. Um, excellent. <laughs> excellent. Yes. And, and the other one's more kind of, uh, straightforward organized crime story. So, um, oh, it's be different for me, but, um, yeah. It, um, I grew up Catholic and I had, um, I had people that were priests and nuns in my extended family. And, um, one side of the family is Italian. So I have kind of a lot of, uh, interesting relationships between religion and the mafia that I could explore. Yeah. No, you're the guy to write that story then. That's going to be good. I look forward to that. All right, man. Well, I've kept you for an hour and I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me on. 
Tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter. I, I forgot your handle, like off the top of my head. Is it JD yeah, Clap Rights? At JD Clap Rights. Yeah, so, so I did pull it pretty out. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, and uh, you're nice enough to interact with pretty well anybody that'll that'll throw a bone out there. Like that's how we got to know each other, just yep. through you know threads. And I, I don't think people understand how welcoming that community is if you'll just put yourself out there. There's, there's lots shocked. of folks. I mean, it's, yeah. I've never, uh, it, it's great. I mean, my whole, everything changed when I got on Twitter, um, mm-hmm. as far as meeting new people, it just rippled, including people that live five miles from me. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> so, the thing about, the thing about Twitter is, is if you can wade through the cesspool, cesspool to your good corner <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and live there, you're probably, yeah. you're probably okay. Because I think we've got a pretty good corner of it. Uh, as far yeah, as I agree. pretty respectful and supportive and, uh, it's been good to me. Uh, so yeah, if, if you, if you do, if you do want to talk to either one of us, I would suggest just holler at us because yeah. we'll both reply. I know, I know you will. I know I will. So yep. that's how you build things anyway. So well, if we're ever in the same part of the world, uh, buy your yeah. and listen to some Lucero. I think so. we can do it. <laughs> it would go hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> All right, JD. Thank you, sir, right. for joining me. All I appreciate right. it, brother. Later, All right. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. That was my conversation with JD Clapp. Uh, what a wonderful man. Uh, so interesting in, in what he does and, and what he's into. Uh, you can find JD online at his Twitter handle, at JD Clapp Writes. You can find his work right now over at Poverty House. Um, You can find the story we spoke about one last drop there as well. As always, I want to thank you for listening to the Fair to Midland podcast. I do enjoy your support, uh, and we look forward to the next time that we get together. So until then, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast, follow us on the YouTube channel, subscribe over there, and make sure that you don't miss out on any of the new episodes. We've got almost a year's worth of riders booked, and I'm really looking forward to the conversations that we're going to have in the future. So until then, this was episode three of the Fair to Midland podcast with J.D. Clapp, and we'll see you all next time.